These are dark days for the world, filled with hatred, revolt, and violence. As a Christian, are you contributing to the darkness, or are you shining your light? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah challenges believers to stand against the rising tide of lawlessness by reflecting God's love and kindness. To introduce the conclusion of his message, In a World of Lawlessness, Be Kind. Here's David. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today. This is the Friday edition of Turning Point. We're moving toward the conclusion of our series. Uh, It is not the end of the world, but it is the world of the end. And we're talking about the words of Jesus that he spoke to four of his disciples on Mount Olivet. Um, On the Tuesday before his crucifixion, he sat down with Peter, James, John, and Andrew and answered their questions about the future. And in answering their question... He answered ours and helps us to understand what we should be anticipating as the time of our Lord's return draws nigh. Now, we all know that the signs that are in Matthew 24 are for the second advent, which means at the end of the tribulation, uh, Jesus will return in glory with his angels uh, and set up his kingdom upon this earth. The signs of Matthew 24 are primarily signs of the second advent, but I keep reminding people the second advent is seven years removed from the rapture. So uh, future events cast their shadows before them. And while the signs of the second coming are not particularly signs of the rapture, the rapture has no signs as to when it's going to happen. We may not know uh, the event, but we know the season. And Jesus once excoriated his friends for not knowing the seasons. He talked about how they knew weather, but they didn't know the season of his coming. Uh, We believe that we may not be at the end of the world, but we're in the world of the end. We're in the season. And uh, that's what we've been talking about during these days. We will conclude our discussion of In a World of Lawlessness, Be Kind, in just a few moments. But first, I want to remind you again, you can get the book from which this series originated. It's brand new uh, from Thomas Nelson. It just came off the press in October. And you can get your copy in one of two ways. Go to your local bookseller or your big stores where they have books. Um, Hobby Lobby has them. You can get them at Barnes & Noble. You can get them at uh, Walmart. Uh, You can get them at Target. These books are there. They're available to you. You can go and buy it and pick it up and take it home with you. Or you can send a gift to Turning Point, and when you do, ask for your copy, and we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift during the month of October. We're so grateful for the opportunity to do this. We want to put this book in your hands so you have a time uh, where you can get away in a quiet corner and read some of these principles before you have to make some important decisions in the next few days. Well, let's open our Bibles once again to Matthew 24, and let's finish up our discussion of In a World of Lawlessness, Be Kind. Because of growing wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. And that phrase is a translation of the Greek word psycho, P-S-Y-C-H-O. The word from which we get our word psyche and psychology. I want you to notice, here in Matthew 24, 12, the word is literally used in the sense of blowing air across something. Think of your coffee when it's too hot to drink. What do you do? You blow on it, allowing the air to stir the top of the liquid, cooling it just a bit. That's the word Matthew used. As the winds of lawlessness blow across our world, it chills our love 
and the world becomes a colder place. That's what's happening. If you need more evidence, think of the loneliness and lostness of multitudes of people around us. A recent study concluded that 36% of all Americans experience serious loneliness. This includes a whopping 61% of young adults. 61% of our young adults are lonely. Look at the rise of diseases of despair. Over recent decades, including addiction, anxiety, depression, suicide, and more, all of these are skyrocketing in America and across the world. In fact, the medical journal BMJ recently conducted a review of health insurance claims between 2009 and 2018, and they found a 68% increase in diseases of despair on a broad level during that time. And that was before COVID, and COVID has spiked them. So this is what Jesus is telling us the world will be like. And we know he was telling the truth because we live in that world. And I try to make this as clear as I can so that what I'm about to tell you will mean the most that it can. What do we do about people who are lawless and loveless? Well, the first thing I want to say, don't be that way. Don't be lawless and don't be loveless. That's a pretty good start. It's difficult to watch the world disconnect from God, isn't it? Humanity's slide toward lawlessness and lovelessness is painful. We feel a jolt when forces corrupt the institutions and customs we've cherished for so long. The darkness seems to be deepening over our culture like the edge of night. But we are not powerless. We are children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. You need to nail that verse. One of the biggest ways we can make a difference is by bringing back a revolutionary concept called kindness, which in many ways is the antidote to lawlessness. We have limited ability to control the lawlessness and lovelessness in our society. But we can control how we respond to it. Some people pray, Lord, change the circumstances so I can feel better. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to use the circumstances to make you be better. And I think that's what's happening to us now. I know that as I see these things happening in the world and I see them as you do, I don't feel so much anger about it, but I feel, Lord, how can I be the person I ought to be in the midst of this? Everybody is looking for hope, and we have the hope of Christ. We need to turn our candles up higher and shine brighter. We live in a dark world, but we are here on purpose. God could have put us down in any generation he wanted to, but he plopped us down in this one. In this particular generation, it seems to be coming unglued. And we're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but before he went back to heaven, he pointed to us and he said, you are the light of the world. So before we can ever be purveyors of kindness, we have to embrace it ourselves. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel and embrace the kindness of God toward you? Let me just tell you a story to help you with that. Rich Mullins wrote his best-known worship song, Awesome God, in 1988, and he sadly died in a highway accident in 1997. 
A few years later, James Bryan Smith wrote a book about Rich's life in which he shared how Rich grieved that his dad never spoke the words, I love you. Rich also battled feelings of worthlessness as a teenager. God, he once prayed, why am I such a freak? I wanted to be a jock or something, but I'm a musician. I feel like a sissy all the time. Why couldn't I just be a regular guy? Despite his struggles, Rich attended church. He read his Bible. He began writing worship songs. But all the time he was doing this, he was feeling like God didn't love him and doesn't care about him. Along the way, he began to truly embrace the love of God. It struck him when he looked at the creation around him. He became awed that God in his love gave songs to the birds and majesty to the mountains and laughter to the children. All of that for our benefit. And he became centered on Jesus. And Rich's brother, David, said that Rich always struggled with feelings of self-worth, but he found his self-worth in Christ's death for him on the cross. And once he told a concert crowd, if you only knew how crazy about you God really is, God has already loved you if you only knew. Rich's mother said he actually felt God's love. I think because he was a stranger, everywhere he went, he leaned into God and drew close to him. He was not a saint, but it was his sense of being loved by God that made him different. Rich discovered that the love God has for us is not an emotion, but it is, in fact, the essence of who God is. The death of Christ is the indisputable sign that shouts to you, God loves you. God loves you. God said, I'm going to love my children. How shall I tell them? I know what I'll do. I'll send them my only son to die for them so that they won't misunderstand the depth of my love. I know many people who listen to me today who've been jolted by life and you've never had the human love you needed. Many in my generation growing up had that situation with our parents. Wasn't that they didn't love us, they just didn't know how to say it or didn't think it was right to say it. And if you don't have love from your parents, especially if it's the father in the family, the father in the family is the metaphor for your heavenly father. If my human father doesn't express love to me, how do I know my heavenly father loves me? And that kind of works in your soul. And like Rich Mullins, you have not heard the human love you needed. Maybe you've been abused or neglected or mistreated. We all battle issues of self-worth. And perhaps everyone wonders at some time or another if God really loves them. If you only knew how crazy God is about you. If you really knew how much he loved you. If being loved by God that makes us different. It's his love that's not mere emotion. It's the essence of who he is. And he loves you. Somebody told me once, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the cover. (laughs) So our prayer should be this prayer that was written by Paul to the Ephesians. He said, I pray that God would give us power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul prayed to the Ephesians. Here's what I pray for you. I pray that you would know how high God's love is, how low it is, how wide it is, and how great it is and how much God loves you. And I want to just say on the authority of the word of God to all of you here today, God loves you like you cannot imagine. 
Maybe you wonder if somebody else loves you. Maybe you wondered if God loves you. But I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Bible, God loves you. He always has. He always will. He isn't just about love. He is love. And that love extends to you. So before you can ever express love to anybody else on behalf of God, you have to accept that God loves you. You cannot give to somebody what you don't have. And so I urge you today in this time of craziness in our world, whatever else you believe, concentrate and meditate and read the scriptures and remember that God loves you. People who possess the knowledge of God's love for them become insulated from the chilling winds that cause warm love to become hard ice. When we embrace the love of God through Christ, we own love that will never grow cold. That's why Paul reminded the earliest believers the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Why John said we love because he first loved us. On a practical level, men and women, our sense of God's love deepens as we spend time with him. And many of you know what I'm saying. You've had moments when you've been reading the Bible or listening to a worship song or just praying and you can almost reach out and touch the Lord. It feels like he's right there. And when we go through those times of stress, we always say the same thing to our friends who are Christians. I never felt God's presence like I did during that time. Now, let me ask you this question. Does God get closer to us at one time than he is at another? No, he's omnipresent. It's that we feel his love. It's the things that happen to us in our life that cause us to be sensitive to what's already there. God loves you. He actually loves you more than you can imagine. And maybe you don't realize it, but when you go through stress, if you're a believer and you're in the word of God and you know the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, the things you experience will make you aware of what's already true. You are loved by Almighty God. He loves you desperately. And because that's true, because you are embracing God's kindness, now you can express it. Now you can share that kindness with others. When we embrace God's love, it becomes natural to express it. In many ways, kindness is God's love expressed through action. Nothing is more obvious in the Bible than God's command to love the world in tangible ways. Such as providing a cup of cold water in Jesus' name to the thirsty. The leaders of Bear Creek Community Church in Lodi, California, took on the task of expressing God's kindness They felt a burden to help provide safe water to impoverished parts of the world. The project wasn't in the church's budget, and so many of the congregation's families were already under financial strain. So who took up the challenge? The children's ministry did. There's a strong recycling emphasis in California, and the children began collecting bottles and cans to bring with them to church. Other congregations started to rally to the cause, and would you believe it, So far, they've raised almost a million dollars for clean water projects around the world. And Michael Mantle described this wonderful news. He said, Jesus turned water into wine. The kids at Bear Creek turned garbage into water. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us being channels of the love of God. We aren't supposed to just get love from God and store it. We're not a reservoir. We're a channel. God loves us, and he wants to love the world through us. 
He wants his love to come through us and we become his hands and his feet and his eyes and his hugs to the people around us. It isn't a call for a select few for all Christians. Psalm 82.3 says, Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Proverbs 14.21 says, Blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Jesus said, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. James said, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And the Apostle John said, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Expressing God's love means fulfilling these commands in small ways, doing things that you see need to be done. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Everywhere you go, in your neighborhood, among your friends, if you just say, Lord, today help me to see the needs of people that I might be able to help, and he will show you, and you will have a list you won't be able to keep up with. The fact of the matter is, over the years, we have trained ourselves to blind ourselves to the needs around us, to live in our own little world, to pull the moat up in our house when we go home at night, and not to see what's going on. And today, in our world more than ever before, there are people who are just waiting for someone to share with them. Because you see, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And when you help them with their physical need, they will listen to you when you try to help them with their spiritual need. The point is not that we become famous for what we do, but that we just do something. God's love is not about warm thoughts and well wishes. It's expressed through action, through actually being kind. It's expressing God's love through our daily attitudes and actions. We keep it fervent. We keep it hard for the devil to blow his cold breath over our heart by doing the works that God calls us to do. That's the spirit I'm recommending. Those of us who know God have embraced his love, and we have to resist the urge to just become complacent and to say, oh, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing I can do. Get me some food for this week. Close the door and lock it. I'm going to just be my... The Bible teaches us that these things that are happening are happening not to make us feel better, but to make us be better. And I don't know about you. I have a passion in my heart. I want to be better. I want to be better for God. I want to know him better. So embrace God's kindness in your heart. Express his kindness and then embody it. How do we pour out kindness in a world that's defined by lawlessness? There's no better solution than just to be known as a kind person, a gracious person, a loving person. What if you and I were to reflect God's love to such a degree that the world around us said, oh, you know that guy? Oh, my goodness, you should meet him. He's the kindest person I ever met. Oh, you know her? I tell you, if you go near her and you whisper that you got something wrong in your life, she'll be at your house with something to help you. I mean, she's just the kindest, most loving person you ever met. Don't you just kind of in your heart wish you could be like that? I mean, people are going to talk about you anyway. Why don't you figure out how they can talk about you and talk about you in a good way, right? Give them something good to talk about. Jesus gave us another picture of what it means to embody his love. And I want to introduce it by taking you through a little exercise. 
I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations. I want to take a moment and mentally transport you back to the ancient world of Jesus' day. It's late in the evening, and the sun has set, and the last of its light is fading from the night sky. You've been walking for more than 10 hours under the heat of that sun, and you're not sorry to see it go, but you're also tired and sore and hungry. And you see it, a glimmering light in the distance. Another few minutes of walking, and that light becomes the welcoming glow of a city built next to a road on the side of the hill. The light you see is not produced by wires and bulbs, but by cook fires and hearths and oil lamps hanging on doorposts. There are people in that city and water to wash the grime off of your feet and a bed to recline as you take your evening meal. As a weary traveler, can you imagine anything warmer, more wonderful in that moment? Could you stumble upon anything more welcoming and refreshing? That is the image Jesus used to describe how his church should shine the light of the gospel in the middle of a dark and dreary world. Here's what he said in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Here's a simple principle. Light shines the brightest in the darkness. The darker the night, the brighter the light. In a world frozen from lawlessness and the lack of love, you and I have the opportunity to radiate spiritual warmth that comes with the gospel. The warmth of community, the warmth of kindness, the warmth of fellowship, the warmth of intimacy with our creator. We may not be able to control what's happening in our world. We wish we could, but we can't. I can't do anything about the lawlessness that's in our country right now. I don't have that kind of power. But I do have power over me by the Spirit of God. And I can use what I see around me that's so wrong to ask God to make me so right. To make me the kind of person that people will say, He's kind. He's gracious. He cares. There's something different about that person. And then the Bible says that as we do that as a church, we become like a city on a hill. The light in the midst of the darkness. And here's the principle. The light that shines the furthest has to shine the brightest at home. We must never forget what God has called us to do. When he sets before us an agenda, we must follow it. We must do it with all of our hearts because God has called us in a world of darkness to be light. Let me ask you this question. Is he the light of your life? Because what I'm talking about in the world in which we live is the same for you individually. We don't have the light in us until we accept it. Jesus Christ comes and offers himself to us. He wants to come and live within us and take the darkness away. Become the light of our life. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if he's not the light of your life, there's no way for you to shine to anybody else. You cannot give away what you don't possess. So let me ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Is Jesus Christ the light of your life? And if he's not, wouldn't you like him to be? Well, there you go, folks. That's a a pretty interesting discussion, isn't it? 
Who would have ever thought that we would be able to put together our Lord's words about lawlessness and the culture in which we live, which is more lawless than we've ever experienced in modern American history? I don't know where this is all going, but if if we're in this period that Jesus is talking about, we're going to see more of it. The Bible says it's going to escalate as we move toward his return. So we shouldn't be surprised by what we see, but we should be looking up and remembering that our redemption is drawing nigh. Uh, we are so thankful for your participation with us in these last few days. And as we head into this weekend, I want to encourage you to get to church and make sure you're there to support your pastor and to be an encouragement to others. We're coming out of a season when a church has kind of gotten pushed to the side and we need to put it back in the center. If we're going to see the blessing of God, we have to be a part of his command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So get to church, get started back in your routines, be a blessing to somebody. And we'll see you right here on Monday. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Drop us a note if this ministry is encouraging you. Send it to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., B4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's powerful new book, The World of the End, How Jesus' Prophecy Shapes Our Priorities. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The World of the End, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his new book, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, Dr. Jeremiah will send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. C.S. Lewis wrote, If Satan's arsenal of weapons were restricted to a single one, it would be discouragement. Based on my observations, I would have to say Lewis is correct. 
But I also agree with the words of another eminent Englishman, Bible scholar William Barclay, who wrote, One of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. He continued, Many a time, a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Try to pass on a bit of courage to someone today. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to encourage others on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. Today.